Hello, everyone. I am Alexandra Bot. I'm a senior editor with Commercial Property Executive. My guest today is Lindsay Ornstein, co-founder of Open Impact Real Estate. Lindsay is a seasoned real estate professional with more than two decades in the industry. Uh, last year, she co-founded Open, a firm offering real estate brokerage and advisory services with a focus on supporting social-minded, mission-driven organizations. The firm is based in New York City, and before that, uh, Lindsay co-founded and led Transwestern's New York office. Lindsay, I'm really happy to have you on as our guest. Welcome. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Since I've mentioned Open, let's talk a little bit about uh, the firm and uh, how everything uh, started. Uh, you uh, co-founded the brokerage and advisory services firm uh, last year in 2021. This was one year into the pandemic. What led you to this decision in such challenging times? Uh, it's, a, it's a great question, and it has, it has a few different uh, answers to it. So we, um, during our time at Transwestern, my partner Stephen Powers and I had started um, our nonprofit advisory practice and grew it over many years together there. And uh, what became very clear to us and to our clients was that they cared about the hiring choices that they were making. And they wanted to be intentional about hiring women and minority-owned businesses. And while I led um, the New York office for Transwestern uh, with the other partners, I, you know, I, I didn't own it and they wanted real true ownership. So, you know, that was one big contributing factor to wanting to start open. Um, it was also, you know, when we got, when we conceived of the idea, it was the time of, of the riots two summers ago. And, you know, we, we, looked around and we said, people want change. And if they want change and they're willing to make the effort to, to create change, then we have to have really great high quality service options for them to go out and hire so they can make those changes and be intentional with their hiring. So, you know, that was another contributing factor. Um, so, you know, the, all of those things, you know, plus a number of, you know, another number of reasons led us to, to launch open. But we realized at the same time that, you know, while we have a woman-owned firm and we have um, this great boutique offering, the scale and scope of services that we offer to our clients is very large and we need the resources of a big company. So uh, we affiliated with Transwestern, our former firm, to provide all those resources to our clients. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. We have a woman-owned firm and the autonomy of having a woman-owned firm but the resources of a big company behind us in Transwestern. Yes, it does sound like a really good mix. You've recently added two new women professionals to your team at Open, and now the firm counts 13 people, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Most are women. What does it take to grow a real estate business in the market environment we are experiencing? You know, it's interesting. People have always asked, you know, how do you have so many women at your firm? Um, this is true for my, for, you know, while I was um, at Transwestern as well, we had a, you know, a disproportionate number of women as well relative to the rest of the industry. And it, it's, it's not as hard as it may seem. It really starts with having females at, in leadership positions. You know, women in leadership positions attract other women. 
attract, you know, it, it, it puts a spark in other men who say, oh, I know a woman who's looking to get into real estate. You should talk to Lindsay. I can't tell you how many inbound women came to me from male brokers at other firms who wanted to see women that they knew um, be in a position to work with a woman in a leadership position. So having women in leadership position creates organic opportunities to grow, attract, and retain female employees. Um, and you know, we've also been really intentional, not just about hiring women, but about hiring diversity across all sectors. And it just takes a little bit more effort and work because it's not in necessarily in the usual circles you may look in. If that's why I think commercial real estate has historically been so um, so lacking in diversity is because the opportunities to hire people of diversity aren't in the normal circles and spheres that people in the commercial real estate industry tend to orbit in. So looking outside of those spheres and putting feelers out you know, at young ages, whether it's through internships, training programs, uh, mentorships with universities, higher ed, uh, or looking laterally to other industries. We've been really successful of going outside of brokerage to find people who have complementary skill sets or complementary mindsets. In our case, it's about doing good in your community and wanting to genuinely be have an impact on your community and then training them in the real estate side of things. So um, that's how I think we've had such great success with the diversity and hiring uh, and, and our rich mix of 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 people on our team. That sounds like a really good strategy. I'm happy to see things changing in commercial real estate with more and more women um, entering the industry and uh, taking up uh, leadership positions. Uh, what was the biggest challenge you have overcome this past year and how did you overcome it? This past year uh, has been a really big mix of markets. Uh, you know, I always call it a, a tale of two cities. There are aspects of the market, specifically the large corporate class A kind of trophy deals that has been strong really throughout the pandemic and, uh, and of late, and, and our nonprofit sector. Those two sectors have been doing well. The corporate business, the day-to-day, -day, you know, backbone of New York commercial real estate has not been doing very well. Um, there's just a lot of uncertainty still in the market, uh, particularly, you know, with business leaders saying, what does my back to work look like? You know, is hybrid permanent? Uh, is it going to keep changing? Do my hiring needs and my office space needs going to keep changing? I don't want to commit to expensive real estate until I have a handle on that. So we're seeing, you know, a, a slower comeback, uh, particularly in New York City than, than almost anywhere else in the country. Um, and it's really impacting the corporate work we want to do uh, specifically, you know, you know, all, all corporates, but, you know, we, we, we focus on impact organizations uh, and, you know, it's just been a real slow return. So that aspect of our business has been much slower to um, make a return, but, you know, what we're trying to do to combat it is to be proactive and to be thoughtful about our outreach efforts uh, and our networking and connectivity in those spheres to, drum up more business uh, on those on those corporate side going forward. Um, and we seem to be having some early success, but we'll, we'll see if it all if it all translates. Well, we hear more and more about an upcoming recession. What are your views on this? How do you see the next 12 months in the industry? You know, I, I heard a great term the other day uh, that we're in a vibe session. Um, 
<laughs> meaning that the vibe of the economy, the, the energy of the economy, the sentiment uh, is, is the indicator more so than the actual economic metrics. And, you know, there is a, a lot of truth in that statement or in that, in that phrase. Uh, you know, I, I do think it's mixed. I think, uh, you know, I've been debating with friends uh, for months now, are we in a recession or not? You know, I take the position we are not yet in a recession, but we're precariously close to it. And there are lots of indicators and signs throughout the economy that you would think we are already in one. And then there are lots that say, hey, we're doing fairly well on a number of fronts, particularly on the job side. Um, so it's it's really mixed, but I do think this latest round of, of interest rate hikes has, has put the brakes on. I know uh, that on the construction side of things, things have already started to slow down, that new, new jobs um, have really started to peter off. You've seen housing prices starting to come down for the first time in a very long time. And I think that's just going to continue. Um, the cost of capital is just too high. Uh, and, and you pair that with the exorbitant pricing in the construction market uh, and the supply chain dis disruptions that are still occurring. And that's not a good recipe for, for growth. So um, I am wary of where we're going and do think we have uh, stormy skies ahead for, for quite a while. You know, I don't think it's gonna be a, pre a precarious drop. And I don't think it's going to be a meteoric pop right back up. I, I think it'll be kind of a slow 2023 um, and hopefully a little sunshine in 24. So how are you and open preparing for the times ahead? What is your business strategy going forward? We are stay the course. Uh, you know, we have a very resilient nonprofit industry that we cater to that tends to, you know, provide the great services they do to the community in good times and in bad. So um, we have a number of projects underway that will carry us through this next year and well into 2024 um, and some others that'll first, first start next year. So we've been bolstering our pipeline to, um, to secure against the uncertainties and we'll continue to do so. You know, we, we, I think may, more deals may fall off next year than typically do in a regular year, but um you know, I think our strategy around that is to just get as many in the pipeline now so that if some do fall off, we still are in a, a comfortable position to have a reasonable year. What are the firm's goals for the year ahead or is it a goal-free period? We set, we tend to set lofty goals. Um, and, you know, if, if we don't, if we don't make them, uh, we've, we've actually always, always made them, but uh, should we not, we're certainly not going to be in a bad position if we, if we've been trying in a, <laughs> on that path. So uh, our goal has been to double every year and um, looks like we're on a path to do that this year to double from last year. And we're hopeful we can double again next year. That's, you know, again, a very ambitious goal. It's not sustainable forever, but for the foreseeable future, we want to double our revenue and um, and probably add headcount, 50% more headcount. Okay, that does sound good. Um, yeah, maybe 25%, head, somewhere between 25 and 50% headcount growth. Okay, um, I would like us to talk a little bit about the office market. Um, you do have... Uh, some activity in that area. Uh, I know you're um, based in New York, but operate nationwide. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about the trends you've seen in the office sector today? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the the headline in the market to me today is is a flight to quality. 
you know, people are coming back to the office uh, and if they, and if and when they do, they want it to be nice. They're not leaving the comforts of their home to go back to dark, dingy, back of the office, you know, looking at a wall office space. So there, there's a flight to quality uh, in terms of both the, the aesthetic and the infrastructure. Uh, wellness has percolated up as well. I think people really care about light and air uh, and air quality. Um, you know, you're seeing more biophilia in offices. You're seeing more um, lights that re you know, replicate circadian rhythms. You know, there's a whole well movement and I think it's well-founded. You know, I think people's health in their office is really important. And it, you know, the pandemic was a catalyst to make that a priority. So the flight to new construction, high quality office buildings um, is, is kind of the driver in the market right now. Those are the buildings that have fared the best throughout. And, you know, it's like every, like every, uh, you know, every crisis has an opportunity. To me, the opportunity here is the repositioning of the class B and B minus assets that are maybe mid block and haven't had the love and, and capital invested in them for a lot of years. I think it's time to take a lot of those out of inventory and convert them to the much needed housing that our city so desperately wants, particularly at this moment in time right now. Um, I, don't, I don't think there's been you know, much better of an opportunity to take advantage of conversion because there's no real tax incentives available in the city right now as of right for building affordable housing. But yet there's still massive, more than ever, need for, for housing in, in our city. So until those, those rent abatements come back, or tax abatements, I'm sorry, to come back, converting class B office buildings to market rate housing, you know, it doesn't necessarily solve the affordable housing crisis, but it, it solves housing crises. And, you know, those buildings don't have to be luxury. They could be workforce type housing. Um, and, you know, assuming that, you know, particularly the pre-war buildings, which lend themselves so nicely to conversion because of the light and air ratios that are required for residential, you know, big corporate office buildings that have deep floor plates don't work for residential conversion because of the light and air. Uh, so I think those, those pre-war style buildings are really um, great options. Um, and that's throughout the city. It's downtown, it's um, in Midtown and, and Midtown South alike. I think there's opportunity there. So I, I, I'm curious to see if that results in developer and in, in owners who do it themselves and retain their buildings, or if they say, this is not my area of expertise and they sell and, and residential operators come in and do the conversions. Time will tell which, which path it is. I suspect it'll be a mix of both, but um, I, I'm hopeful that that is a, an outcome of this economy we're in now. What can you tell us about office leasing in New York City? I just read an article about office leasing in Manhattan having its busiest month since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, I mean, there was a fantastic surge of back to work uh, with Labor Day. I mean, you could see train ridership up significantly, swipe counts up significantly uh, at building security. So you're seeing a lot more people on the streets and people coming back to office and more office um, deals getting done as a result. People finally feeling a little bit of comfort that, yeah, people are coming back and I do need my office which we always knew they would. It's just taking people, some, some people a little longer to realize that they, always, they need an office and they always will need an office. 
Um, so I do think that, you know, it's a really good sign that there was um, increased activity. How, how sustainable it is, you know, we'll see. Uh, if the economy really starts to falter, we may see a pullback on it. Uh, but I'm cautiously optimistic, at least throughout the rest of this year, that we'll see some some decent activity in the marketplace. And um, I don't think it's going to be a jump, but I think a nice, you know, just turn on the on the scale towards more activity is is a welcome change. Now, you did touch a little bit um, on uh, tenants needs, but can you tell us uh, how have the needs of tenants and landlords changed over the past 12 months? Landlords have embraced what tenants are telling them, which is I want nice space. I want my mm -hmm. employees to come back and have options and flexibility. So that means amenity centers are continue to be on the rise and more and more creative features are being added to buildings. Um, again, a lot with health and wellness in mind, but food and beverage as well. And I think that's fantastic. Um, I know our, our building has an amenity center and I use it all the time. I'll take a coffee meeting there. We use it for breakout conference rooms. If I just want a change of scenery, I can go down there and work uh, from our, our amenity floor. So I think um, amenity centers are, you know, continuing to pop up uh, in buildings and in portfolios. And the other thing landlords are doing, which is again, a good thing is a lot of turnkey development. Um, tenants don't have the bandwidth. They can barely make a decision to come back to work or not, to then have to design and build their spaces, I think would just tip them past the, I can't do this right now mentality. So, or tip them to mm -hmm. that mentality rather. So I think landlords building turnkey office space is the right move. Um, turnkey and sometimes furnished as well, office space that's flexible with terms and, um, you know, hey, you don't necessarily have to commit to 10 years like you used to. Five and even three year deals are more and more common uh, as tenants you know, decide they wanna test the waters with certain strategies and certain sizes of their office space. So flexibility from landlords, pre-building turnkeys and amenities are certainly um, things that we're seeing, which is great for the market and you know, improving our office stock quality is always, is always great. You know, we have one of the older office stocks in the world for, for such a young country. So, um, you know, any, any improvements are welcome, particularly new, new construction, um, but even, even modernizing the old. Uh, and then on tenants, you know, again, it's, it's similar. Tenants want, they want things to be nice. They want it to feel warm and welcoming. I think the design aesthetic is shifting in a really great way to more of a hospitality feel. Uh, you know, it started to go this way a bit before the pandemic, and it's really accelerating now. The cozy couches and the lounge-like feelings and great coffee spots and big pantries, you know, kind of working from your kitchen counter, which so many people became accustomed to during the pandemic, you know, that, that sense being replicated in the office design. So the office is becoming less of a place where you go to sit and do your quiet work. I think everybody or most people at this point realize that if you're just going to sit and do quiet, focused work, you can do that anywhere. The point of coming into the office is the opposite. It's for collaboration. It's for energy. It's for culture. It's for the chance to have accidental collisions or mentorship. So offices are being designed to foster that much more uh, we spaces than me spaces and um, intentional programming 
in the office to have events and opportunities for colleagues to be together, whether it's lunches or gaming or uh, after work events, um, uh, fitness activities. I mean, you name it, we're seeing companies do all sorts of things to have people come back in and be engaged with each other as a group in the office and not just coming in to do quiet work. Could you uh, tell us a little bit about current headwinds in the industry for brokers at the moment? Um, you know, headwinds, I think, are, you know, on, on the margins. It's really not um, as pervasive in the Class A office space, but in the boroughs, in retail space, you are seeing some landlords push back on some commissions just because the deals have gotten thinner in those areas. And... Uh, they're having a hard time make the, the, the math work, um, which is a shame because the brokers are having the same hard time and they're making less mm -hmm. and they're doing less deals. So they need it just as much. Um, so brokers hold firm. <laughs> don't, don't give on <laughs> those fees. Don't give on those fees. Um, the other headwind I see is because most other firms are commission environments, you know, open is not, I should probably have said that from the beginning, but I'll, I'll pause and just, just clarify, you know, we are at Open Impact Real Estate, a salary bonus firm. It's a very unique model to the brokerage industry, um, but we think it is the best alignment of interests for the team and provides the best outcome for the client because we always have the exact right team on every project, the right geographic and skill set um, and relationships that are needed for that exact requirement. We overstaff our projects. We have backups and resources that we provide because we all pool our commissions and then share it twice a year in bonuses on top of the salaries everyone gets. So it's it's a totally different mindset uh, and behavior. And it's also really nice when there's a down cycle and slow activity like there was during the recession that everybody has the comfort of a salary. For many others in the brokerage community who are solely reliant on commissions, that was some really dark times and people have commitments and obligations and families to take care of. So I think you saw a lot of people leave the industry, um, which is, it's really tough because, you know, particularly a lot of women, which was a shame to see because we're so thin uh, on women as it is in the industry. But, you know, when you either need to take care of a family or you need to have more stability on your, on your compensation, and you're not getting that on a commission environment, you had a, a number of people leave the industry. So that was, um, you know, a challenge for the brokerage community. But, uh, you know, I, I'm happy to see that, you know, not, not only open, but many firms are hiring and, and regrowing uh, the benches. So hopefully there's opportunities for young people out there to join our industry and um, other people who are interested in joining the brokerage and commercial real estate world who aren't in it now and think, you know, hey, I have sales skill sets or I have client um, client relations, you know, ability to really, I'm, I'm really good talking with clients and, and managing expectations or um, research or other lots of other skills that we need in our industry that can be translated readily to brokerage um, and people will start to come in from other industries. Going back to um, the headwinds we were uh, discussing, is there um, another issue you would like to mention in addition to the commission that you've you've just talked about? 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's a, I think that's a fairly minor issue for brokers. The mm-hmm. bigger issue is really I, I, my heart. I feel for landlords right now. It is a tough time to be a commercial office owner in New York City. I mean, you've got um, low building attendance. You've got you know leasing velocity that, while looking a little bit better now, has been paltry for the last two plus years. You have the most expensive construction environment of my career. So your returns are going down. Even if you get the same rent, your cost to build is, is significantly higher. So your net yield is, is less. And now you have quickly rising interest rates. So you know the whole package makes it really challenging to be a landlord right now. Um, so my, I, I do feel for the landlord community uh, trying to make the economics and the math work um, in this marketplace. So. Can you share some strategies for brokers to navigate these times more smoothly? I mean, I could talk to what's been successful for us and that's finding a niche, you know, be expert okay. in something, uh, you know, having, um, being known as the go-to for X, Y, Z uh, is really helpful and compelling both in building your career and weathering a down cycle because you know in the worst of times there are still deals that get done and when you are known as the the go-to for a certain sector you're the one who's going to get that call uh you know in the toughest time so i'd say find find a niche and build that niche around your natural in interests and skill sets you know, I, I found my way to nonprofit because it was something that was important to me. I, I've always cared about working with nonprofits, um, donating my time, my money, my, my efforts towards um, helping our communities. And as I started working with nonprofits, it felt really good seeing the impact that, you know, when I signed the lease, it wasn't just a lease. It was something that was going to help make change in the community. And that felt really good to me. So I wanted to do more of it. And I kept kept doing more and more. And with my partner, Stephen, who had spent his entire career doing nothing but nonprofit real estate, uh, it was kind of a magic combination. And we were really able to grow this nonprofit practice into what it is today. So I'd say if you have a love of whether it's finance or fashion or sports or you know, pick the thing that matters to you that you like being, um, that you're happy to, you know, read the newsreels on because to be really great at something you have to know the industry you can't just do the deals so that means you're reading and um, talking to lots of people to understand everything going on in that sector so find something that's compelling to you and and go deep now let's close with a topic that i personally love being a woman in commercial real estate Um, tell us your growth story in the business I mean, being a woman, particularly at this moment in time, but I, you know, in my, you know, 20 plus whatever year career now is, I think it's always been an asset. Anytime you're different than everybody around you, that's an asset and an opportunity. So, you know, recognizing that and taking advantage of the fact that you are in the minority, uh, you know, again, it is an asset and is a way to help build your business, not, not set you back. So, I've always looked at being a woman as being an asset. And um, I think, you know, now more than ever is there, there, it is so important to have women and people of color in the workforce. And um, I'd say, Hey, you know, use, use what you got. (laughs) And if being a woman is, is going to help set you apart, then, then use it and take advantage and go to places where, 
and, and look for business that cares about hiring women um, and look for lateral industries where there are women who would say, hey, I, I, you know, I'd, I'd love to work with you. So um, that's my that's my two cents. What would you advise a woman that is just uh, who's just entering the business? What would you tell her? Find a great mentor, find somebody who's going to teach you, man, woman, it doesn't matter. Um, I've had phenomenal male mentors my whole career. I've been really, really lucky um, from my beginning of my career with Patrick Robinson at, at the Staubach company, who then went on to be my partner when we launched Transwestern together um, to, to many other men. And, and now, you know, my partner, Stephen, I think is fantastic. Um, my, I have a development and investment company. My partner, Peter Siegel on that business is somebody I, I admire and look up to tremendously um, who have really taught me and helped me broaden my horizon, my knowledge base, my relationships, um, and, and giving me the good support and advice I needed in those, you know, challenging times or, or pivotal moments where I had to make a choice. So find somebody and don't be afraid to be bold about it. You know, you can actually ask and say, Hey, I, I'm looking for the right person to kind of take me under their wing and help me learn and grow in this industry. Is that something you think you might be able to do for me? Um, and, and you'd be amazed how many people will just say, oh, gosh, I'd love to, that would be my pleasure. Or, and if they say, you know what, I would love to, I'm just so busy. I don't want to do you a disservice by not having the time for you. That's okay. Find another person. Just don't, don't stop if you hear a no, uh, but find a mentor. Wow, uh, Lindsay, that is so yeah. powerful. Thank you for sharing uh, your experience and uh, all these great insights. Um, this was a, a really uh, lovely and a very uh, valuable conversation. Thank you for taking part in it. Thank you for having me. I, I love these conversations and I hope it gives people a little food, food for thought and something to chew on. Uh, maybe you learned something you didn't 30 minutes ago, so... <laughs> I, I'm sure they will. This was really great. Thank you again. Great. Thanks so much.